and welcome to the 19th episode of the very unofficial AICP Study Guide podcast. I am Jonathan Miller, and thank you so much for joining. I hope everyone got a little R&R over the weekend, maybe got to watch the Super Bowl. Uh, I wish both teams could have lost, but whatever. Uh, It should have been my Browns. Anyways, I want to give you all a reminder. The expedited review window for the planning experience essays is now open, and that window will be open until the 16th at 3 p.m., at which point it turns into the regular review window. It's just like Cinderella, only it's 3 p.m. instead of midnight, and the expedited turns into just regular. Poof. The last episode, we covered the New York Tenement House Act of 1901, which finally banned tenements. At this stage, it was specifically the dumbbell tenement that got banned. We talked about the subsequent uh, New York Committee on Congestion of Population and how they hired Benjamin Marsh as the executive secretary. And we talked about his contributions by organizing the first conference on city planning, the 1909 National Conference of City Planning and Congestion of Population, and we also talked about his book, the first American book on city planning, An Introduction to City Planning, Democracy's Challenge, and The American City. This week, we're pivoting back to the West. We last left off in episode 14 with the General Land Law Revision Act, which gave the POTUS the power to create forest preserves. We also left off with the Forest Management Act, which gave some control of the use of the forest preserves to the Department of the Interior. And we talked a little about our environmentalist friends, John Muir and Gifford Pinchot, and their contributions as the founder of the Sierra Club, that's John Muir, and the first chief forester of the U.S. Department of Ag, and that would be Gifford Pinchot. But the stage for this episode was really set back in episode 12, when we talked about John Wesley Powell and his 1878's report on the lands of the arid region of the United States. It was that report that talked about how the West could be settled and conserve water sources. Powell knew that the dry, arid West would be difficult to settle, and, well, he was right. Before the U.S. Reclamation Act of 1902, the West was dry, really dry. Like, these lands will never be properly settled kind of dry. And to one Mr. Teddy Roosevelt, that wasn't going to fly. In fact, in 1901, after he was elected, one of his messages to Congress was that problems with water and forests were perhaps the most vital internal problems of the United States. Sorry, let's take a step back for a second. Uh, To recap for you, uh, John Wesley Powell, our exploration friend, wrote in 1878 the report on the lands of the arid regions of the United States. Now, this report was important because it basically said that the West was never going to be able to be developed like the East. Why, you ask? Well, he noticed that the region was really dry, but... After the winters, the snow melt from the mountains and the rainy spring seasons would flood the waterways. So, to be in sync with the natural resources, 
any development of the west would have to follow the watersheds and it would have to be for small, limited settlements with communal irrigation systems. Now, back to 1903. In the west, some smaller farms and communities had managed to make irrigation work for their low-key agricultural efforts. Simultaneously, the U.S. government saw this and said, Hmm, what if we could ramp this sumbitch up? Then we could do way more farming. So, Mr. Francis Newland, a state rep for Nevada, put together some legislation to make that happen and boom. The U.S. Reclamation Act of 1902 was born. And what did this Reclamation Act do? Wait, sorry, one more digression. This act apparently goes by many names. Uh, so just so you know, if you see any of these, it means U.S. Reclamation Act of 1902. We got the main one, the U.S. Reclamation Act of 1902. Then you have the Lowlands Reclamation Act of 1902 or you have the Newlands Reclamation Act uh, after the representative that initiated it, Francis Newland. And of course, for funsies, you can use the full name, which is an act appropriating the receipts from the sale and disposal of public lands in certain states and territories to the construction of irrigation works for the reclamation of arid lands. Yes, that is a mouthful. So what did it do again? Well, it appropriated the receipts from the sale and disposal of public lands in certain states and territories to the construction of irrigation works for the reclamation of arid lands. In all seriousness, though, it basically established fees from the sale of government land, and those fees were earmarked for the purpose of building dams on the western rivers. The idea was that by creating these dams and creating a subsequent large body of water, we could make even larger irrigation projects so the whole dam west could be farmed and settled. And just to let you know the full impact of these projects, uh, apparently about 10 million acres of farmland have been created by the reclamation projects. And this includes 60% of the vegetables in the U.S. and 25% of fruits and nuts. Oh. And don't forget the 58 power plants. So the U.S. Reclamation Act was going to do all of these projects on the proceeds from the sale of federal lands. Cool, great, grand, wonderful. But at this time, there was also some huge concerns over the mismanagement of the public lands. So our friend, the POTUS, Teddy Roosevelt, went to Congress to ask them to put together a committee. But Congress was not very receptive, so using his super president powers, he put together uh, his own commission. And with that, the Public Lands Commission of 1903 was formed. The three members of the commission were our conservationist friend, the chief of the Bureau of Forestry, Gifford Pinchot, the chief engineer of the newly minted reclamation service, Frederick Newell, and heading it all up, the commission of the General Land Office, W.A. Richards. So what did this commission do? Well, since Congress refused to fund any of their work, uh, each of the members actually used their respective staff and resources to tour the public lands, hold meetings, and they talked to officials and residents, uh, and eventually 
in two separate reports, one in 1904 and one in 1905, they provided a list of recommendations. Uh, two of these recommendations uh, that were included in the reports were a repeal of the Forest Lou provision uh, of the Forest Services Organic Act of 1897. Uh, this provision uh, allowed homesteaders to basically select uh, other unsurveyed lands in lieu of their claims in the reserve. And uh, they had recommended the establishment of grazing districts on public lands and charging ranchers fees for using these districts. Uh, that was actually eventually done in 1934. Both of these, uh, and most of the recommendations for that matter, were geared towards eliminating the corruption in the program. But Congress, for the most part, didn't take these recommendations seriously or incorporate them for that matter. But what about the waterways? Remember, Roosevelt said that the waterways were a vital internal problem as well. And in 1907, he followed up on that by asking Congress to create a commission to look at the transportation crisis that was going on. You see, around this time, uh, a lot of the industrial transportation had shifted to railroads, but the railroad capacity constructed under the private sector just wasn't enough. In the decade leading up to this commission, uh, production in northern states had doubled, but capacity of the railroads had only increased 12%. Now, based on the simple laws of supply and demand, the cost to ship via railroads went up. You see, high demand for shipping combined with low supply for shipping meant that it cost 7 to 10 times more to ship through the railroads than it did the waterways. But even still, the railroads were carrying eight times more freight than the waterways. And that was the transportation crisis. And according to Roosevelt, the railroads were no longer able to move crops and manufacturers rapidly enough to secure the prompt transaction of the business of the nation. And there appears to be but one complete remedy the development of a complementary system of transportation by water. And with that, Roosevelt initiated the formation of the Inland Waterways Commission in 1907. And their task was to study the waterways in all capacities. I mean, it was initiated on the basis of declining commercial navigation, but Roosevelt was a conservationist after all. So the commission was also charged with looking at the waterways in terms of conservation as well. Uh, and the commission delivered. Uh, one of the outcomes from the commission was a plan for a national conservation conference. The main recommendation, though, was the formation of a comprehensive policy for water resources from an independent commission of experts. But that one didn't happen. So I think the big takeaway here is Teddy Roosevelt did a lot in the early 1900s for conservation. So if you run into a question about conservation or natural resources as it relates to the president, it's probably good old TR, though it was usually in combination with something economic. To recap his contributions though, Teddy Roosevelt saw the economic benefits of the West and acknowledged that it would never be developed without a little push. So, he encouraged the formation of the U.S. Reclamation Act, a.k.a. the Newlands Reclamation Act, 
so aptly named for the representative who proposed it. It was this act that essentially is responsible for damn near every, you guessed it, dam in the West and all of the subsequent irrigation that the dams made possible. A year later, in 1903, he created the Public Lands Commission to look at all the corruption that was going on in the West regarding the sale of federal lands because it wasn't being conserved in the way that it should have, and Congress pretty much ignored those. And in 1907, he made another commission, the Inland Waterways Commission, to look at the waterway transportation since the railroads in the private sector were falling short uh, in terms of providing adequate movement of freight. Their mission ultimately expanded to include some conservation stuff as well, although their recommendations largely got ignored too. It did, however, come through with the conservation part uh, and the creation of a conservation conference, so at least they did that. Well, thanks again for joining me. Uh, we really have just gotten off and running. If you have any questions about the material, the exam, the meaning of life, feel free to reach out to me at the very unofficial AICP study guide at gmail.com and I will do my best to help out if I can, except for the meaning of life thing because I still cannot figure that one out. If you're playing along uh, at home, our question last week was where and in what year was the first national conference on city planning held? If you said 1909 in Washington, D.C., you would be right, so congratulations. Uh, if you want to give this week a go, our question is, what was the purpose of the U.S. Reclamation Act of 1902? Anyways, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use for podcasts, and feel free to sign up on the show's website so you can follow along with future episodes, help prepare for the exam, and supplement all of your other study regimens. And if you're feeling saucy, uh, share this out with any planners you know, and leave a review too, uh, if you feel so inclined. Next week, we're going to cover some court cases, so it's going to be super exciting. To be specific, we are going to hit the 1887 case of Muggler v. Kansas and the 1896 court case, United States v. Gettysburg Electric Railway. And spoiler alert, that has to do with historic preservation, so we might as well add in some Antiquities Act of 1906 to round it out. Thanks again, everyone. Till next time.